welcome to episode one of the History of Christianity podcast. I am sitting across from Sebastian Strader, and hello. We're going to talk about some some fun history stuff. This is kind of a this is going to be kind of a background episode or, or a scene setting episode, <clears throat> um, so to speak. But uh, I think it needs some explanation because a lot of people um, may not know some of this stuff. Um, when you open up a Bible. Uh, and you start figuring out kind of the chronology of it, you figure out that there's this weird, big, long gap, right, between the Old and New Testaments. Um, and so you got to figure out um, what that's all about. So the world that Jesus is born into that we see in the Gospels is very different from, from what we're used to, what we saw in Malachi, for instance, mm-hmm. the last book of the Old Testament. Um, and there are a lot of things that have happened uh, since then. So what what I want to do first is kind of break down um <laughs> I've got a timeline here in front of us that that is covers roughly a thousand years before <laughs> before the, uh, the ministry of Christ but I think this is this is important stuff so we'll kind of go through it and and just make sure that we that we know the basic history leading up mm-hmm. uh to the time of Christ and then we'll talk a little bit about the situation that Christ was born into. Well, you know, uh, I was going to mention one thing about this because you look at these dates and you look at these, you know, all this uh, information about the history. And uh, 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 particularly when you're reading the Bible, too, one of the things that turns people off are like genealogies right. and you know, yeah. things like that, just this this detail. And um, sometimes, uh, you know, when you think about, okay, well, the, the gospel and how that applies to my life and how I can live a better life and my salvation and all that, I think sometimes people are turned off by this because they think, well, how does this factor into all that? Right. I can do without all this information. But it really depends on how you look at the Bible, because if you look at the Bible as a storybook, um, some piece of fiction, right. then yeah, maybe you can do without that stuff. But if you think of it as a history book, I mean, what would our history books be without dates and you know detail and information? That's what really kind of makes it real. And right. so this this stuff is necessary. And as I've grown as a Christian, I've realized more and more how necessary it is to sort of to tie this in with reality. Um, because when you've got a, a book that talks about people being risen from the dead and regaining their sight and all these miraculous types of things, it helps to have some reality ground in it yeah. so that we realize that these <clears throat> miracles are real and this, the whole entirety of the Bible is something that's real and applicable to our lives. Yeah. Well, and I, I began this sort of uh, litany of dates here with the reign of King David for a very specific reason, mm-hmm. because that and it's I, I don't think it's uh, it's quite coincidental that it's almost exactly a thousand years from from the birth of Christ uh, that, that that reign happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, da- King David reigns from roughly a thousand B.C. to 960 B.C. Um, about it's about a 40 year reign. And that's sort of the golden age uh, right. in the history of the people of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. The, the period of the United Kingdom, first three kings, we have Saul, David, and Solomon. And, and, and David, of course, is special for uh, the Old Testament calls yeah. him a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. And there's a specific covenant that God has with David, the Davidic right. uh, covenant. And... We're, we're going to see in Matthew specifically where it deals with the, the genealogy of Christ that Christ is in the lineage of, of David. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to fulfill all kinds of cool prophecies right. um, having to do with that. And then, of course, I didn't include this in the timeline, but we know that 
uh, after Solomon's uh, reign, there's a split in the kingdom. So we divide into a northern mm-hmm. and a southern kingdom. Um, Israel is the northern kingdom. Judea is the southern kingdom. It's ten and two. Uh, and uh, ten tribes and two tribes. Mm-hmm. And those two kingdoms are going to exist parallel for 300-ish years, 250-ish years. Uh, and and then the Assyrians are going to conquer Israel, the northern tri- the northern the northern kingdom, uh, first, and that's going to happen uh, in 722 and 721 BC. The the Assyrians conquer Israel, and uh, the northern captivity begins. And then, uh, 150 or so years later. Uh, give or take some, the Babylonian uh, captivity begins. So the Babylonian Empire is going to conquer the southern kingdom. Um, And that's going to happen in 575 uh, uh, BC. And I believe that uh, the exile isn't, uh, or the the return, rather, from exile isn't complete until uh, 450 BC. So that uh, 575 to 450 BC, that's the total time that they're carried away in, in Babylon. Right? Okay, so um, Northern Kingdom Assyria has been carried away, or Northern Kingdom Israel has been carried away by Assyria. Southern Kingdom has been carried away by Babylon. Both of those kingdoms are going to ultimately be subsumed by the Persian Empire. Uh, and we get some of this history in uh, Daniel and some of the later prophets. Um, there, uh, this is a time where the size of nation states are getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. So it's a time of, uh, you know, a lot of times I think modern people, we tend to think about history as going up and up and up continually in a perpetual uh, upward uh, trajectory, but it, actually, if you look, take a long view of history, it rises and dips and falls. Mm-hmm. But this is a period of a of a steep rise in the, the size and capability of nation states, right? So, during the reign of David, Israel, you know, uh, you know, militarily can uh, dish out punches and take punches, right? They can go toe to toe with some of these small to mid sized other countries around them, but then. Uh, Nation states get bigger and empires grow. And so, uh, you know, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, which are these foreign powers that seem uh, overpowering to the Israelites, they get overtaken by the Persians. And then ultimately the Persians get overtaken by the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And then they're ultimately overthrown by the Roman Empire. So you can think about all these uh, nation states as like nesting dolls resting inside each other, right? They just keep swallowing each other up because they keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, so as I alluded to, um, in 332 BC, Alexander the Great conquers Palestine. Um, Antiochus the Antiochus the Fourth in uh, 168 BC tries to eradicate Judaism. Uh, this is a a Greek ruler. The uh, the Jews are going to respond to this uh, in 166 BC with what's called the Maccabean uh, rebellion or uh, revolution, and there's going to be uh, about a two year war there. And ultimately, in 164 uh, BC, the the Maccabean dynasty is going to be established, and this is going to be a period of 
Jewish national independence um, that historians will normally call the Maccabean period, and that's going to last from 164 BC to 63 BC. And but the the Maccabean dynasty is another period that Jews, especially Jews today, will look at as kind of a golden age. It was an age of uh, independence. They weren't under a foreign power. Um, and uh, when uh, actually this is where the the holiday of Hanukkah comes from, when when Jerusalem is reopened um, following following the uh, rebellion and the war. Um, and of course, there's a story about lamps and oils that I, I'm not familiar enough with to to tell adequately. It would probably insult a lot of people, so I won't do that. But um, but uh, that 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 this period is where that that holiday comes from. Okay, so 63 BC, we're getting close to the time of Christ now. Um, Roman general Pompey uh, conquers the Maccabean kingdom, and then from 63 to 37 BC. Um, Caesar and, and Pompey will will uh, basically rule over Palestine as a military uh, uh, acquisition. This isn't what they want, though, right? Like Rome, Rome would conquer a lot of areas that weren't uh, that weren't within their borders, and they would sort of subsume them and make them part of their kingdom. But they didn't want to rule them directly militarily if they could avoid it because it's it's harder it's more expensive the people don't like it uh, you end up killing a lot of people it's bad for you it's bad for them what they would prefer to do is find some people who already had political power within the structure prop the uh, people who they could count on to support the roman powers that be prop them up make them client kings or kind of puppet kings um, and so they could run things and they would have their own administrative ecosystem and the Romans wouldn't have to deal with it. Um, so this is basically what they end up establishing in Palestine under uh, the Herodian dynasty is what his historians call it. Um, and the first one of those is Herod the Great and he is established as the sort of Jewish Roman client king uh, in 37 BC. Uh, and this line of, of Herodians is going to go on into the first century. But this this was a, a clan of the uh, Jewish aristocracy that was strongly loyal, at least in the beginning, uh, to Rome, and um, and was very tied in with the with the Roman uh, culture and political structure. Um, so the Romans felt like they could count on the Herodians to do their business for them, and they wouldn't have to you know have legions occupying mm -hmm. Palestine all the time. Um. So in 44 BC, going back a few years, Julius Caesar, who's the big power broker in, in Rome at this time, is assassinated. There's a long, bloody civil war between Augustus Caesar, who I believe is the nephew of Julius Caesar. Again, not a Roman historian. I'm brushing up on this. Uh, uh, Augustus, uh, uh, Augustus or Octavian uh, fights against Mark Antony. Um, Mark Antony ultimately loses. Augustus claims the throne in 31 BC. And he is going to be emperor, and he's the first proper emperor of the Roman Empire. Julius Caesar is kind of an unofficial emperor, but Rome was still technically a republic under him. Augustus reigns as, as the first official empire from 31 BC to 14 AD. So he has over a 40-year reign. 
And at around the turn of the first century, um, there's going to be uh, some political changes. Herod the Great, who's the first big king of the Herodians, uh, he dies, um, most historians think, around 2 B.C. He's also the, the Herod that Matthew uh, records mm-hmm. uh, slaughtering um, the uh, you know, children two yeah. years of age and, mm-hmm. and, and younger uh, in, in Palestine. And, and we can estimate that somewhere between 4 and 2 B.C., so around the last couple of years of Herod's mm-hmm. life, we think this happened. Um, and during that time, after, after Herod the Great dies... Augustus um, is having trouble finding uh, uh, one clear uh, ruler to take over. So he kind of chops Palestine up into some smaller territories. Uh, The Herodians are still in power, but there's a few different Herods that are are, uh, running the place. And uh, around 4 BC, Jesus is born. Um, And of course, we don't firmly know the even the exact year of Jesus's birth or death both of those are very uh, controverted um, but uh, to me I think that the safest bet is 4 BC for the birth of, uh, of Jesus um, so in around 6 AD again there's a political change uh, Judea which is one of these smaller pieces that they've chopped Palestine up into uh, starts to be ruled by Roman prefects. So this is basically like a governor. Um, so uh, the prefect would be the highest civil authority uh, in in Judea. Uh, uh, the only person higher than him in Judea would be the emperor, right? In 14 AD, um, Augustus uh, or Octavian, he's known by both names, uh, dies. And uh, Tiberius assumes the Roman throne, and he is going to reign until 37 AD. So he will be emperor when Jesus dies, whatever date you put that at. (laughs) Um, And in 26 AD, uh, somebody who Christians will recognize, Pontius Pilate, becomes the prefect over Judea. Um, And he will have that role for about 10 years, and then after that, we kind of don't know what happens to him. It's, it's He's one of those weird historical characters mm-hmm. that we have a brief record of and then he just disappears. Yeah. Um, but we do know that for about a decade, Pontius Pilate was uh, the prefect or the governor over Judea. Okay, so that's a lot of history that I just summarized in a few minutes. Um, you know, um, just uh, having... Just an observation here that, uh, you know, through all, throughout all that period... Um, you know, where were the Jews as far as rule goes, you know, and uh, a lot of people will think, well, if, if the Jews are the chosen people of God, then why were they in slavery or, you know, kicked around under all these other um, um, right. nations that ruled over them, you know, and even even during the time of Jesus, you know, why it was Rome in charge of everything. Right. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of people believe that at least that when the, the Messiah came, that, you know, well, now's our time. Right. And now we take over and, and everything becomes under Jewish rule. But that didn't happen. Right. And um, if you look at the big picture of the purpose of God's people, then, you know, you understand that this wasn't a, a uh, earthly rule that God intended for his people. And I think that um, when we look at the history that, that you just 
wrote out for us there, um, you can understand why this is really a lesson for God's people that this isn't your kingdom. This right. isn't the kingdom that, that you're going to set up and, and have rule over. Had had they had rule during that time, then I think the, probably the whole message of the kingdom could have been lost. Right. Well, and if you think about the history of the people of Israel as kind of a, a mountain, right? They, they come to a peak and then they fall. The, the, the peak of that mountain is the reign of King David, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so God takes them from literally as low as they can possibly be in slavery in Egypt, raises them up, uh, makes them first a kind of loose confederation of tribes. Mm-hmm. And then because the people are disloyal to God, they want a king. And so he makes them a kingdom. He makes them a real proper nation state and gives them, you know, a, a, a benevolent, wonderful king, King David, uh, who, as far as kings go, uh, you know, couldn't do much better. Walks with God, um, not a perfect man, but uh, sort of held up as a uh, a model of mm-hmm. how to how to be someone who walks in communion with God. Mm-hmm. And then from that that high point, it's a long slide down to the point of Jesus's birth, right? Which mm-hmm. would, would sort of create a new peak for those of us who are Christians, right? But um, but the history of, of them is uh, them falling from their favored position under that reign of King David as God's chosen people. And both God, they've all because they were always God's chosen people, mm-hmm. but under King David, they were sort of a shining light on a hill, right? They right. were this prominent example of. God's people, God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And as they backslide, as they fall away from God, they'll occasionally, you know, cry out to God and say, why is this happening to us? And prophets will come and say, well, it's because you're not holding up your end of the deal. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there'll be periods of repentance and then more backsliding. Yeah. Um, and all of this brings us to the question of, okay, well, if if Jesus was, was the son of God and he uh, died to save us from our sins. Why did we why couldn't that have happened immediately? Why why did we have to have this long period of preparation is how we normally would talk about mm-hmm. it. Um preparation or uh, you know God working with the people to get them to a point where um they can accept that. It, why is that necessary? I mean, why couldn't God have just uh, sent Jesus right away? Galatians 3, 24 and 25. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the idea there being um, uh, the new covenant is something like mastering some skill, right? Mm -hmm. If if I learn to play guitar, I'm going to take guitar lessons, right? Um, and so I'll take guitar lessons from a guitar tutor until I get to the point where I can totally, where I can practice, play, and get better on my own. I know all the basic skills. It's now my job to uh, practice those and expand those. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing more that the tutor that the tutor can give me. I know yeah. the basics now. I need to learn how to play for myself. That's a good. That's something analogy. like. That's yeah. something like what the new covenant is. It's. God has has tutored his people over thousands of years to the point where they can receive um, receive the salvation that the Son offers, mm-hmm. and and it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be practical 
if someone were to take up guitar to put them directly into a band when they don't even know how right. to hold down a, a chord. Right. But you, you teach them the, the, um, the basics first and work their way up into to what they need. And that's how I like to look at it, um, that God's people weren't ready for the Lord yet. They had to be prepared. Their, their, their minds and, and hearts had to be prepared for the Lord's coming. Even, even uh, during the New Testament times, there was even John the Baptist before right. Jesus, so there was even more preparation. Right. And John the Baptist is called a forerunner of Christ. So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, this idea of preparation isn't something that we're kind of backfilling onto it. It's something that's there in the text. Um, and, and mm -hmm. of course, prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah also uh, are kind of forebearers of Christ and that they, they prophesied, you know, sometimes uh, four or five centuries before Christ came that, that, that he would come. All right. Um, so the the Herodians were kind of uh, the local power uh, at the time of Christ's birth, and then toward the time of Christ's ministry and death, it had shifted more toward prefects, um, governors. Um, so that that makes sense uh, when we look at um, the end of Christ's life, and of course, Christ has a famous uh, trial before Pilate, um, but. I want to talk for a minute about why why did Christ come at the time that he did come? So we, we, we've kind of talked a little bit about why there had to be an old law. Um, but what was what was so special about the first century? What what were the conditions um, that were so favorable? Uh, and to understand this again, this idea of nesting dolls, right? So we have the all uh the Jewish world at the core of this of this thing, right? Jesus is a Jew, all of his apostles are Jews. Um for the first um roughly I would say 75 to 100 years of Christianity's existence, it's a majority Jewish deal. It's considered a kind of subsect within Judaism with increasing numbers of Gentiles until around the 2nd century it flips to be majority Gentile. Um, and this is going to be the source of, of lots of issues in the second and third centuries, uh, too, about, about Christianity becoming less Jewish and more decidedly Gentile and in some ways pagan. Um, but uh, th that this is all for future episodes. Point is, at the, at the center of this is Jewish law, Jewish literature, Jewish culture. Um, which Jesus was very familiar with and everyone who he was talking to would have been deeply familiar mm -hmm. with. But that Jewish world existed within a broader Greek linguistic world, right? So Greek was kind of the universal language, kind of the, or the language of commerce, the language of economics, kind of like English is today. Uh, so here in Silicon Valley, uh, you, you have people who live, people who work at Google, uh, it, so, every conceivable nationality right. and ethnicity uh, and lots of different languages. And so a lot of time, a lot of the time you'll have, for instance, uh, you know, somebody who's from India and somebody who's from China talking uh, in English uh, at, at Google or, or anywhere. Um, and uh, so it was the same idea with Greek at the time, you know, uh, a Jew and an Egyptian could converse in Greek without a problem. Uh, a Syrian and an Italian could could converse, you know, in Greek. Uh, 
it was a, a universal language that sort of brought people together uh, over their their local ethnic languages, right? And it was also the language of education. Um, so um, anybody from any part of, uh, of this part of the world would have to be educated in Greek to be considered a truly educated person. So when Paul, in a lot of his letters, will talk about his educational credentials, um, he's talking about uh, uh, his education, one, in, in the Hebrew law, right? So part of that is Hebrew. But also he would have been trained in Greek and Greek philosophy and uh, Greek rhetoric, um, Greek oratory. He, he uh, clearly had a working knowledge of all these things. Um, so that's going to let, the when the time comes, the message of Christianity is going to be able to easily spread between languages because there's kind of a universal language that most people speak. And then consuming that culture, the Greek culture, you have the Roman culture, the Roman world. And so uh, at this time, uh, uh, later we're going to think about the language of the Roman world being Latin as opposed to Greek in the East. But right now, even though uh, lots of people, especially in Italy uh, and the surrounding areas, speak Latin, um, and it's Latin is a increasing language at the time in, in the first century. Um, most people still speak Greek, uh, and uh, Greek is probably the most prominent language. But the Roman world is is foremost in politics and in uh, government and organization and military matters. So uh, this is going to mean a few important things for the early church. One big important thing that the Roman Empire brings is a really awesome road system, which early missionaries like Paul particularly are going to use extensively. And it wouldn't really have been possible for Paul to do uh, the work that he did in the late first century or in the middle part of the first century uh, if the the Roman road system and uh, transport system generally, because he uses ships at some points too, mm-hmm. uh, if Roman transport wasn't so uh, wasn't so good, yeah. um, and uh, and the the roads were almost always well maintained because they were under the purview of the military, and so the military had an interest in in uh, keeping them up and keeping them passable because if they needed to get from, from point A to point B to put down some rebellion, they need the roads right. to be there. So um, the, the the roads became something that Christians could rely on, and especially in times later when pressure is going to get hot on Christians in certain areas, um, we'll see Christians kind of scatter and go to different areas, which is actually going to bring about more spread of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so... These three, if you think about the Jewish world, the Greek world, the Roman world, as like nesting dolls sitting inside each other, the coming together of those three worlds specifically is going to sort of create the perfect stew of conditions Mm -hmm. for Christianity to spread extremely quickly. I mean, it spreads like wildfire in the first century. And, you know, in in 1 AD, uh, you know, uh, Christ is, uh, you know, an infant or a toddler, right? Probably, um, and by 100 AD, uh, Christianity is the fastest growing um, group in the empire, um, and you know, and then a 200 years after that, it's the official religion of the Roman Empire. It's it's a wild story yeah. how that happens, and um, y- you can see God's hand playing mm-hmm. in it in interesting ways. Um, 
but yeah, that's really all I wanted to cover today was just um, the idea that uh, it was not an accident that Christ came when he did. Right. Um, and God has been priming the world in more ways than one for the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. He's given them the law, which contains within it moral instruction, legal instruction. He's given them the prophets, which tell them to look forward mm -hmm. to a coming time, a, a Messiah. And um, and he's prepared them culturally, linguistically. He's kept them uh, his his uh, people at least to the extent that they can anticipate the Messiah mm -hmm. and you know conceivably recognize him when he comes, right. uh, even if he comes in a in a different form than what they expect. Right. Which we'll see in the next episode. He will very much. <laughs> uh, he is not. Uh, he is the Messiah. He is not the Messiah they expected. Right. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that the you look at the journey of the Jewish people, and uh, you know, um, you can see how God really sort of trained them in humility, right? So that when Jesus did come the way He did, you know, they, they could see Him. Right. Um, you know, had they not been humbled the way they were, you know, well, some of them didn't recognize Him anyway because they they had a higher idea of how He would appear on this earth, right? So. Um, um, you know, if if um, if any of us if any of us have children, we know that we're going to see our kids go through some ups and downs, and we know that some of those downs are important to develop their character. And you can see that with the the people of the Lord that you know that some of those downs were important to develop their character. Right. Well, uh, that's all I have for today. But next time, what I want to do is we're going to talk about Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to try to talk about everything we know about him from a historical standpoint. We're going to give you, we're going to attempt to cover the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus in one episode. So we'll see how long that turns out to be. But we're, what we're really going to focus on is what was so special about this man? I mean, from a historical perspective, forget about the Son of God for a second. Um, we'll come back to that idea. People who met this man remembered him. Years later, he did things that no one could explain. And it's not just the Bible that attests to that. Right. We're going to talk about it, but um, what was so special about this man? What made his message last? What made his memory last? And what ultimately allowed that message to take over the Roman Empire, take over the world? Well, thanks for sitting and talking with me, Sebastian. I appreciate it. No problem, Paul. Join us uh, next time on History of Christianity. We're going to talk about Jesus. Jesus.